Father, we thank you on tonight, and I give you praise, and I give you glory for just this opportunity to be in your house and join in with heaven to worship you. Lord, I thank you for what you've built here. I thank you for what you're building here in Cleveland, Lord. And Father, we stand here at this altar. I stand in this pulpit today as a willing vessel for your glory to be released in this city. So Father, as we prepare for what you're going to send our way, Father, continue to process us so we can get to the promise. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Tonight I'm going to use for a thought. It's actually a teaching series that I've been studying called The Journey of Jacob. But tonight we're going to be talking about your birthright, your bowl, your Bethel, and your blessing. I want you to repeat that after me. Say, your birthright, your bowl, your Bethel, and your blessing. Amen. As I was praying and preparing for this word, God actually reminded me that I actually used this scripture 20 years ago to preach my first sermon. And to be honest, I actually forgot about it. I forgot that I've been preaching the gospel for 20 years now. I know I don't look like it, but I'm actually 42 years old, and I began preaching the gospel at 22 years old. And one thing that I must admit is that I am not the same man that I was 20 years ago. Anybody thankful that you're not the same person that you were 20 years ago? And so as I was looking at the scripture, I realized that God has given me so much revelation and so much knowledge. I've gone through so many things that has given me a totally different perspective on the story of Jacob and on these scriptures that I just read to you. And so I want us to understand tonight that everyone that's in this room, that you are in a process. Say, I'm in process. And what, what, what the story is literally telling us today is telling us that Jacob was caught between a prophecy over his life and the promise God had for him. And many of us in this room, if we were to be honest, we could, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we would be able to say, you know what? There have been so many prophecies over my life that has not been fulfilled yet. And I've become frustrated because I'm in those in-between times, those wilderness times where I know what God spoke to me, but it hasn't come into fruition. And so what that causes a lot of times in Christianity is a frustration. Are you with me tonight? And so many of you haven't heard my testimony. I've shared it in the, at the Chattanooga campus, but my life was radically changed in 2001 on 9-11. When those planes went into the building, I don't know what it was about it. I was 21 years old. I really didn't watch the news. I wasn't into politics. I wasn't into war strategies or any of those things. I didn't know about the Taliban. I didn't even know where Afghanistan was because I went to seminary and we didn't study those things. But I, 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 when those planes went into that building, something in my spirit shook. And I realized that it was actually a call from God. And two months later, I went ahead and got engaged to my wife. Who, I've, who we've now been married for, it will actually be 20 years this year. 
And so um, I got engaged, and then in 2002, I began to preach the gospel to my peers. I began to travel to different churches and evangelizing in different churches. 2003, I had my firstborn son, Caleb Hampton, with whom a lot of people know he's actually going to Stanford on a dual sport athlete scholarship. I'm grateful for that. And then 2004, I had my, my second son, Joshua. So yes, I have a Joshua and a Caleb, amen. And um, I had my second son. Son, and then in 2006, I traveled to Africa. And I traveled to Africa for a couple of reasons. One, the job that I was working in was doing HIV and AIDS research, and I was going in to uh, do that research, but I also on Sundays would preach at different churches and would preach the gospel. But I realized once I went to Africa, I went there as a blue person going to a yellow country. And I came back a green person trying to deal with blue people. I'm going to say that again. I went to Africa as a blue person going to a yellow country, but I came back green. I learned so many things while I was on that continent that broke a lot of the hatred that I had in my soul. I went to Africa an angry black man. I went to Africa one person, but when I came back, I had a new revelation of why I was in America. And so when I got back to America, now again, remember, I went there blue, but I got mixed with a little yellow, and I came back here green trying to deal with blue people. So then blue people begin to talk about how I was thinking and what was going on in my spirit. But what it was, it was God processing me to become the man of God that's standing here before you today. And so when I got back to America in 2006, I went through what was called my wilderness. Somebody say wilderness. And I remember being so frustrated, but this process that I went through was similar to what Jacob went through. And so in our text tonight, we see Jacob in, in Genesis 32, we see him wrestling with God for a blessing. But the truth of the matter, Jacob did not start out wrestling with God. Actually, the first time we see Jacob, he's actually wrestling with his twin brother in the womb of his mother. Now watch this. When you read Genesis uh, 25, you will see where his mother, Rebecca, actually inquired of the Lord and said, what is going on within me? Why are these two boys or two babies struggling and wrestling within me? And this is what the Lord said to her. He said, there are two nations in your womb. I can stop right there and preach right there. Think about this. When we look at a pregnant woman with babies in her womb, we think of two individuals. When God looks at the baby in the womb, he sees nations. You don't believe me. You remember when he told Jeremiah when he said, I have ordained you to be a prophet to the what? Nations, before you were born, I what? Knew you. 
And so when God sees babies, he doesn't just see a clump of cells, as science tells us. He doesn't just see a baby or or happenstance. He actually sees nations. Somebody say nations. And so she said, what's going on with me? The firstborn son was Esau. Esau was red. He was ruddy. He grew up to become profane. He was lustful. He was actually hateful. The secondborn son, which was Jacob, he grew up and his name meant supplanter, deceiver, liar. But I want you to notice something. When Jacob was born, he was born a mess. Just like some of you and some of, some of us. Look at this. When Jacob was born, the Bible says that he grabbed the heel of his brother. And when he grabbed the heel of his brother, it immediately started a process of enmity between him and his brother. Esau spent his time doing lewd things. Jacob spent his time in the kitchen cooking with his mother. His goal in life was to inherit the birthright. Somebody say birthright. Y'all excuse me, my allergies are acting up. And so around Genesis 25, 27, we learn that Jacob and Esau grew up together and they grew up as boys and they grew up into men. There was a constant enmity between them. Esau is the firstborn. The firstborn birthright means that he inherits two-thirds of his father's wealth. The firstborn will carry the, the patriarchal lineage and the patriarchal name. But Jacob, the deceiver, the weasel, the sneaky one, caught his brother at an opportune time and actually swindled him out of his birthright. Somebody look at your name and say, these boys are a mess. So one thing I admire about them both is that they both know the value of their birthright. I think a lot of times as Christians, we forget what our rights are. We forget that we have a right to be healed. We forget that we have a right to be delivered. We forget that we have a right to be set free. We forget that we have a right to be the head and not the what? But they at least understood that they had a birthright and it was worth something. Now watch this. Esau had probably come in for one of his drunken nights, one of his profane nights, and Esau came in hungry. And he wanted Jacob to fix him a bowl of beans. 
Jacob said, I'll do it for you if you sell me your birthright. So here it is. We find this mess. We find this process beginning to start with Jacob where he now has to make a decision. And Esau has to make a decision between his birthright and a bowl of beans. As believers that's going through this same process, this is the essential question. What is more valuable to you? The birthright that Jesus Christ has given us or the bowl of beans that Satan places before us every single day? This is the essential question while you going through the process to get to your promise. And so here it is. Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of beans. Now watch this. Many times we are hard on the person who sells out and sells their birthright but do we ever address the one that buys in? I'm going to say that again. Many times it's easy for us to look at Esau and say, you know what? He just sold everything, two-thirds of his father's possessions. He sold his a patriarchal name. He gave all of that away just for a bowl of beans. But did you ever think about the person that buys in? See, think, let me put it in another way. See, it's easy for us to look at the Grammys and see the people that sell their soul to the devil and sell their soul to the enemy. But do we ever question those Christians that actually support those same artists. Ooh, I'm getting in trouble now, huh? I'm getting in trouble. See, it's easy to sell out, but what about the people that buy in? The Bible teaches, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his what? Soul for a bowl. I started to call that the title of this sermon. Losing your soul for a bowl. And so we have the birthright here, which is worth so much. But then we have a bowl over here. And let me tell you what this bowl represents, because all of us have a bowl. All of us have something that the enemy is presenting to us to compromise our birthright. All of us go through this process in the wilderness where we just decide, should I just take the bowl or should I just stay with my birthright? Now watch this. The bowl represents the fleshly desires that we all have. As we are being processed into the promises of God, we must recognize that our blessing can be forfeited when we give into the bowls that Satan puts in front of us. Some of our blessings are being blocked by bowls. Now don't get me wrong. God loved the fact that I, Jacob desired the blessing, but God also despised the fact that Esau didn't really care about his birthright. Watch this. And he said it all. He said all of this. He sold all of his birthright for a bowl of beans. Anybody grow up on pork and beans, pinto beans, black eyed peas, or any of that? That's all I had to eat was pork and beans. We ate pork and beans with everything, with rice. We ate it with eggs. We ate it with bread, everything. But he sold his whole birthright for a bowl of beans. Watch this. 
Was Jacob being manipulative? Yes. Was Esau living by the flesh? Yes. Was Jacob wronged and misguided? Yes. Was Esau careless with the birthright? Yes. Many times we come to the altar with our own bowl of tears because we feel manipulated, we feel wronged, we feel like people have misused us. But the truth is, yes, you were manipulated, but why did you allow the manipulator into your life? Here we go. Yes, you were wronged. Yes, they misused you. But did you pray before you allowed them into your circle? See, look at this. Don't let the bowls block your blessings. Watch this. In Hebrews, you don't believe me. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, it actually gives us insight into what God was thinking when Esau sold his birthright. This is one of the scariest scriptures in the Bible for me because it actually details what a lot of Christians go through in church on Sunday after Sunday. Let's read this together. Hebrews 12, 15, and 16. Here's the insight. When you're studying the Bible, you should always use line upon line and precept upon precept. So when I said Esau was profane, when I said Esau was evil and all of those things, you don't really read that in Genesis. But if you go in other places in the Bible, it talks about Esau and it gives you insight into his character. Now look at what it says in Hebrews 12, starting at verse 15. It says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless like who? Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son, and watch this, afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. That's a scripture that we all should pin because it shows right here that Esau made a mistake, sold his birthright, wanted the blessing even after he sold his birthright, but the Bible says that God rejected him because he could not get to a place of repentance. Lord have mercy. So look at this. As time goes on, Esau sells his birthright. Now Jacob seeks to get the blessing from Isaac. See, it's one thing in the Jewish culture to get the, the birthright, but then it's another thing for the father to lay hands on you and give you a blessing. And so in Genesis 27 and 1, it says, so Jacob... Uh, with the help of Rebekah, he went and he dresses himself as Esau. 
He wants the father to go ahead and lay his hand on his head and give him the blessing because he's already stole the birthright. So he dresses with the help of his mother. Somebody say the help of the mother. With the help of the mother, he dresses as Esau, puts on goat skin, goes before Isaac, and he changes his voice, and he tries to get the blessing. And he actually tricked his father. His father lays hands on him and actually gives him the blessing. And he asked Jacob, he said, Jacob, well, he didn't know it was Jacob. He said, your voice sounds like Jacob, but you feel like Esau. And he asked him, he said, so what is your name again? And Jacob said, my name is Esau. Somebody say he's a liar. So he says, my name is Esau. And once he says his name is Esau, his father Isaac lays his hands on him and blesses him. And then as soon as that happens, Esau shows up. Now let me stop right there and pause for a minute to talk about pretending. A lot of times... We miss our true blessing because we're pretending to be something that God never intended for us to be. You don't understand. I read to you earlier where the prophecy came to his mother and said two nations are in your womb. And if you read on down, it actually prophesies, it says the older son is actually going to serve the younger son. And so what we see right here, we see Jacob not understanding or knowing the prophecy and the mother is trying to help out the prophecy. Now her son has become a pretender. His father, Isaac, was blind, sickly, and Jacob manipulates and lies to get the blessing. This action would cause a chain reaction of events that would later change Jacob's life forever. He had to go on the run from his brother. What Jacob didn't realize is that he already had the prophecy. He was just being processed before he got to the promise. Can I talk to you tonight? There are many of you that you already have the prophecy. You're just being processed. Somebody say, I'm being processed. And so what, what ends up happening, this dysfunction in the home puts Jacob on the run. Now, how many times have our decisions to help God out get us in trouble? And so, there are three things I want to talk to parents about. I want to put a plug right here and really push this to parents. Because Jacob is on the run, not because of all the things that he wanted to do, but he's actually on the run because his mother convinced him to pretend to be something he was not. And what did the parents do? If you look in the scriptures in Genesis 25 and 28, the first thing that they did wrong was they played favorites. Can I talk to you parents really quick? Those of you that got multiple children, yes, we love our children. We love them all the same and we parent them. But there are times where we can play favorites that can actually have a deep impact on our children's destiny. 
See, I have to really be careful because I got, I got two sets of sons. I got four boys. I got a Joshua and a Caleb and an Israel and a Noah, and they're both 14 months apart. So I got an 18-year-old, a 17-year-old, and an 8-year-old and a 7-year-old. And so it's like I have two sets of twins. And so I have to be really, really careful not to play favorites. And so one weekend when they're playing baseball, I'm with Caleb. The next weekend, I go to be with Joshua. And the next weekend, I may go be with Israel. And the next weekend, I may go be with Noah. And I have to do this. And I play this balancing act because I never want them to think that I have a favorite. Because if I ever do that, what it does, it causes our children to operate with this deep sense of, uh, of not being adequate enough for parents. And you don't want to have children walking around pretending to be something that they're not because they're trying to please you as a parent. Okay, that's the first thing they've done. They played the favorites. That's in Genesis 25 and 28. You can see where it says, And Isaac loved Esau because he had uh, a taste for game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. The second thing they did wrong was lack of communication. You will read and find out, <clears throat> especially about Esau, that Esau actually took of the wives of Edom. And the, it made his parents very upset. And Esau didn't know his parents were upset because he took of the wrong wife. How many times as parents that we just allow our children to just date whomever they want to, even though there's something in our spirit that says something isn't right, but we feel like we're in America, you got to be free, you can do what you want to do, but we don't speak up and communicate what's going on in our spirit. Because they never address Esau and his marriage and the girls that he was participating in these lewd activities with, they never questioned it. They never communicated it. And now Esau goes off and becomes a profane son because the parents never addressed him. We'll keep going. The third thing. The third thing that they did wrong was that they taught their sons through deception. The mother actually got Jacob to deceive the father. Now, as parents, we know there are times where we know how to manipulate our partner, the mother or the father. And so we sometimes get the children to join in with our game to manipulate the mother and, or the father. And so my wife does it a lot of times when she wants donuts. <laughs> and she knows that I'm getting ready to go buy a Krispy Kreme. So she goes to the young one and says, hey, when daddy gets close to Krispy Kreme, if the light is on, why don't you ask him for some donuts? Now, she won't ask me because she told me a week ago that she was on a diet. Am I anybody's house? Am I in your house? She said that she was on a diet and she was starting a diet. So she can't ask. So she gets my young son to ask, daddy, can I have some donuts? And then we get the donuts, and guess who's the first person to have their hand in the box? But as parents, we know how to manipulate our children to get what we want. Now, this is what I don't understand, because Rebecca had the prophecy. She knew what the prophecy was. 
The, the older will serve the younger. But she felt like she had to help God out to speed up the blessing. Hear me, church. Many times our children are running from their purpose in life because we are in a rush to fulfill the prophecy spoken over their life instead of letting God process the purpose of God in their life because he placed the purpose of God within them when he formed them in the womb. We don't have to speed it up. Now watch this. Can I talk to the students tonight? How do you know that you're on the run from God? How do you know? I'm going to tell you how, do you how you know. You know when your relationships don't work. You know when your finances can never get right. You know when you, when you have plans and they never seem to work for you. Why are they not working is because you're operating outside of the purpose of God. And you're running from him. I'm talking to somebody tonight that's running from God and you're trying to figure out why things aren't working out for you. It is because God has a time and he has a purpose for you and you refuse to submit. You're trying to manipulate your way through relationships. You're trying to manipulate your way through, through situations, manipulate your way through school, manipulate your way. You're trying to pretend, but God is saying, no, I have a purpose for you and what I need from you is to submit to that purpose purpose, and I'll get you to your destiny. Now watch this. So you have the birthright. You have the bowl. But then there's another place that's called Bethel. Somebody say Bethel. Can you imagine being Jacob? He's on the run. His brother wants to kill him. And he's somebody that knows nothing about the wild. All he knows how to do is cook in the kitchen with mama. His brother was actually a hunter. Think about this. Jacob is on the run in the wild. His brother wants to kill him, and his brother's a hunter. Can you imagine the fear that Jacob had as he's running away from his brother? And the Bible says one night, Jacob got tired of running. Can I talk to you tonight? Can I tell you there will come a day and there will come a time where you get tired of running. And when you get tired of running, that is the place where you are empty of yourself and God now can come in to fill you. So watch this. So he got tired of running. We serve a God that will hunt you down. Why will he hunt you down? Because the Bible says that every word that he speaks will not come back void. So even though you may think that you're running and you're thinking that you're going to get away from him, actually it's going to be you running and the hound of heaven will find you. And look at what it says about Bethel. In Genesis 28 and 10, and I'm going to read this. Because this is a Bible study, and I want you to understand everything in the Bible can be applied to your life. Jacob is you, and you are Jacob. We are all Jacobs. That's why God put him in the Bible, because all of us are going to be processed into our promise. Can you imagine a soldier not going through training and then wanting to go fight a war? 
So yes, he will give you a prophecy that says you're going to be a warrior, but then there is some training that you got to go through. Now watch this. In Genesis 28 at 10, it says, Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun set and he took one of the stones and placed the stone under his head. So basically what he did, Jacob went and got stones. He was so tired, he just had to lay down and he had to put his face on the ground. Ooh, I can preach right there. I can preach right there. See, that place where you're tired and you have nowhere else to go should be the place where you place your face to the ground. You have nowhere else to go but to God. So he places his face on the ground. He puts rocks there as a pillow. And the Bible says that Jacob falls into a deep sleep. And in this deep sleep, he has a dream and a vision. And in the vision, he opens his eyes and he sees a ladder from that place to heaven. And he saw angels ascending and descending. I'm going to say that again. Ascending and descending. The fact that they put ascending first, that means that angels were already here. And then he said there were angels ascending and descending on this ladder. And then he said, and I can preach about this, he said, and God stood at the top of the ladder. What was Jacob seeing? Jacob had never had an encounter with God. See, when we have an encounter with God, and that's why we come to this place, when we have these encounters, God gives us a revelation that he's working it out behind the scenes. Even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. He was showing Jacob, listen, you're trying to do it in your own strength, but I got angels that you can't see that's working on your behalf. Can I encourage you tonight? Some of you are worried about where you're going to be. Some of you are worried about where you are in life right now, but God says, I have angels working on your behalf. They're ascending and descending, bringing you blessings, blocking people from hurting you. Everybody needs a Bethel. Jacob got up from this place, and he called this place. He said, oh, my God, I didn't know that God was in this place. He located where God was, and he says, I got to call this place Bethel, which means the house of God. There is a reason why you're at redemption to the nations. There's a reason why you chose this place to be your Bethel. Because there are times where you come into this building, and it happens to me all the time, where it seems as if the heavens are just open. And, it's, and it seems as if God just breaks me, and he opens me, and he pours into me. Why? Because this is our Bethel. It's not just another church. It is a place where God has opened a portal above it to where angels can descend and ascend. So if your healing is in the room, you got to reach out and grab it and say, it's my right to be healed. 
When you're dealing with things in addictions and you need deliverance, when the portal is open, you got to understand that there are things happening in the spirit. If God would have, un if he unveiled our eyes and we were to see the warfare that's going on around us, we would all fall to our faces. But you got to know that he's working it out for our good. So Jacob finally gets to the point where he understands, okay, God is working for me. But this is the thing. That's only the first dimension. That's why when we're babes in Christ, the first thing we do when we mess up, we feel like that we got to go to the house of God. But God is calling some of us to the second dimension, not just going to the house of God, but it's time for us to move to the next dimension and get to know the God of the house. This is where he wanted Jacob to get. He wanted Jacob to get to the place where he don't just have a geographic location because God is not a geographic location. He wanted him to know the God of the house. Jacob basically hit rock bottom. But when we, ought to, we have to understand when we hit rock bottom, that means that Jesus is the rock. And if Jesus is the rock, hitting rock bottom means the only place we have to go is up. So watch this. Now I'm almost done. Jacob will have many more issues after this encounter at Bethel. He would go through being deceived by his uncle Laban. He would go through trying to find a wife. And he worked seven years to get a wife. And then he wakes up and it's not actually the woman he worked for. It's actually her sister. So he has to work another seven years to get the wife that he originally wanted. He worked seven years. And then Laban deceives him and says, no, you got to work six more years. And so he ended up working 20 years because he was deceived by his own uncle. And then... Esau still wants to kill him. So even though you have an encounter with God, even though you understand that God is, has you in a process and you're getting to your promise, that does not mean that you're not going to have any more issues. He had issues, but now he's gaining perspective on his issues. I want you to look at your name and say, I'm being processed. Come on, you got to say it like you say, I'm being processed. As God processes us to our promise, we have to begin now to understand the only way to operate in our promise is to have, my last be, the blessing from God. Here we go. Jacob, at around 96 years old, finally understood that having the birthright Without the blessing, it's like having a talent without the anointing. Look at this. It's like having a car, a brand new Tesla with no gas. Well, they run on electricity. So it's like having a Suburban with no gas. Okay? And so it's like having a lot of wealth but not having peace. See, it's like having a, a beautiful spouse, but not having a marriage. It's like having a prophecy, but no process. So he finally understood that I just can't have the birthright. 
I just can't have a man laying hands on me. I actually need the blessing from God. Now watch this as I close. In Genesis 32, and I'm done. This is where we find Jacob finally getting it. In Genesis 32, in verse 23, it says, He took his wives, he took all of his cattle, and he took them and he sent them over the brook. Everything that he had. Now listen, all of us in this room are blessed with a lot of stuff. We're Americans. We got a lot of stuff, but tonight I am speaking to some of you who have passed the point of being blessed with stuff. I'm talking to people that recognize that a new job can't fix your frustration. I'm talking to people tonight that realize that a new spouse or a new house can't fix what's happening in your life. Jacob had to send everything and everybody over away from himself. Then the Bible says that he was left alone. Listen, church. It's one thing to be alone. It's another thing to be left alone. Can I tell you what is one of the most frustrating things that I hear when I counsel Christians? Is that they worry about all the people that left them. There are some of you here tonight that you've been toiling over people that left you alone. But in reality, God says, I have to get you alone because until you can stand alone, until you can be alone with yourself, until you can be in a place where it can just be me and you and there's happiness, you will never find it anywhere else. So to the young lady tonight that is upset that the boyfriend left you, you should be clapping your hands and thanking God. Because if he left you and he's gone now, that means that God is coming toward you. It says, Jacob was left alone. And I'm here to announce to you tonight that the blessing that God wants to place on all of us, it can't be bought. You can't manipulate him into giving you this blessing. Because in order for you to operate in your promise, this blessing is going to have to come from God himself. Now look at this. Look at the scriptures. You're alone. God is saying to Jacob, he's saying to you, it's not about all the stuff you have. 
I want you to get to know the giver of the stuff. The Bible says in Genesis 32, 25, it says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man, look at this church, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. I believe tonight that God wants to break forth a new day in your life. You got to be comfortable with being alone. You got to be comfortable with people leaving you. You got to be comfortable in that place where it's just you and God wrestling. I got an announcement to you tonight. You are not wrestling with the devil. You are not wrestling with demons. But this process is coming because you're wrestling with God. You're wrestling with the purpose that God placed in you before the foundations of the world. That's why it's not working. That's why your finances can't get right. It is because you're wrestling with God. The Bible says that Jacob wrestled with God until the breaking of day. And look at 32 in verse 26. And he said, it says, and he said, now the angel. Now, many, many theologians believe that this was a pre-incarnate Christ that he was wrestling with. This was actually God he was wrestling with. Look at this. In verse 26, 32, 26, the angel says, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I'm here to speak to some people tonight that's holding on. You've been holding on for a long time. And I love the fact that Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. Because there are times where this life can beat us up to the point to where it's easy for us to just let go and just give up. But Jacob said, no, I've been running for too long. I've lied too much. I've been through too much. I've seen those angels ascending and descending, so I know I've had the encounter before. I know I'm not letting this moment get away from me. I'm not going to let you go until I get what I've been seeking for my whole life. And look at what he said. He says, and he said, he said, I, I, I would not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said unto him, the angel said, what's your name? And for the first time ever, Jacob decided to tell the truth. See, before, when Isaac asked him, who are you and what's your name? He said, I'm Esau. He was pretending. But here, when God says, what's your name? He finally gets it, y'all. He says, I'm Jacob. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I'm a supplanter. I manipulate. I am who I am. And it's at this point, look at our Lord. It's at this point, he says, I'm Jacob. And the angel says to him, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. 
And then Jacob's ass said, tell me your name, I pray. He said, why are you asking me about my name? And the Bible says that God blessed him there. This new day that we're getting ready to walk in, God is going to give us a new name. Our old nature will pass away. And all things shall become new. Jacob, from this point on, when he had children, they don't call his children the Abrahamites, the Isaacites, or the Jacobites. They are called the children of Israel. Once you realize the purpose that God has in you, and he takes you through that process, you have to now start walking in your new name. You have to start walking in your new day. So I'm here tonight to announce to you, you have a birthright. Push your bowls away. Find your Bethel and you'll find your blessing. Stand with me. Father, tonight I stand amongst many Jacobs that have come through many paths to be processed to the person that you've designed them to be. Father, there, I know that there are many things that will come into this nation that can't be uttered. But one of the things I know for sure is that you will have a remnant of people that know who they are, that know what their name is, that know what the prophet spoke of. And we know in the end that we will win. It doesn't matter if banks fail. It doesn't matter if our job ceases. We know that you have given your people a name and a blessing to walk in. And so, Father, right now, I call forth the Israels in this sanctuary. I call forth those that I have now struggled with God, and now they, they have, have power with God and power with men. The name Israel means triumphant with God. And so, God, we declare from this day forward, we will walk in our victory. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to, to wrestle the things out of us. We pray, Lord, that you continue to give us strength to push the bowls of temptation away. That we may be who you've called us to be. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise.